0: Pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, God, we we acknowledge that our, our sin, it's big. God, none of us here want to pretend that we've got it all together. We we need you, and our sin is stronger than we are, but you are greater. And God, I pray as we continue to worship by engaging your word, God, I pray that we would believe that even though our sin is great, you are greater and stronger. You're stronger than my brokenness and sin. You're stronger than our stubborn hearts. God, there's actually resurrection power that has overcome the grave and can actually defeat our sin. And God, I pray that we'd believe that. And I pray as we engage your word that you'd be glorified in that. And I praise it all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, everyone. Well, I know it's Father's Day. I hope you have a great rest of the Father's Day plan for today. I don't, I don't know what you have planned. We celebrated yesterday yesterday. Uh, maybe that was a mistake, I don't know if that was what we were supposed to do, but when you got four little kids, uh, you get in any moment you can. For me, celebration was going to Home Depot, I know this is crazy, perfect dad day. Went to Home Depot with two of my boys, we grabbed got a bunch of two-by-fours, and we built a Jenga set for my backyard. Uh, we haven't sanded it, it's going to be It wasn't that hard. Don't be impressed by that. I wasn't trying to say, look, I made Jenga. It was just, you just cut the two by four. It's not that impressive. But listen, we've got Jenga in my backyard now. For me, that was a great dad day. Uh, For all the fathers that are out there, uh, here's one of the things that we decided to do this year. Instead of spending money on gifts for all the men in the room, we donated to the Lighthouse Children's Home here in Tallahassee. We took the money we would have spent for gifts. Okay, yeah, awesome. Listen, I like it when y'all clap for stuff like that. So, dads, on your behalf, we donated the Lighthouse Children's Home. Um, We want to leverage everything we do for the mission of reaching people in the city of Tallahassee. And so, dads, we did that, and I hope that makes you happy uh, that you didn't get a pocket knife and that we gave to them. Um, Because did you really need a little pocket knife? I mean, maybe you're like, yes, I would like the pocket knife. Do both next year. But that's what we did. And and, uh, I'll take a moment to recognize this, that for some of us, Father's Day is really happy. But for others... Father's Day is really hard, but I don't want to blow past the fact that for some of you today, Father's Day is hard because your father isn't around, and this is the first Father's Day or second or third without him, or, or maybe for some of you, Father's Day is hard because you're reminded of some of the difficulties about your own father. It wasn't that your dad has passed away, it's that your dad wasn't around, or if he was around, it was more painful than it was helpful. Like, listen, we don't want to blaze a trail for that. We, we want to celebrate fathers, but we also want to acknowledge that for some of us, that causes deep wounds, all right? And uh, we just want you to know that Jesus, that God, he's a better father. He, the best father you've ever known, Jesus is a million times better. And the worst father you've ever known, you need to hear this, Jesus is a better father. He's always there, he's always right, he's always just, he's always merciful, He is always a better father. And so for whatever flaws your father had or whatever greatness your father had, I want you to remember today that Jesus is a better father. All right, now that's my mini-sermon before the sermon. Uh, Listen, Father's Day is one of those things when it comes to preaching for me. uh, It's always my joke that on Mother's Day, you tell the women how awesome they are, and on Father's Day, you tell the guys how much you wish that they were awesome. Like it's like Mother's Day is a hug and Father's Day is a punch in the face. And so for a pastor, you get to get all like, yes, I get to drop an elbow today. That's that's not what I'm doing today, guys. So you, don't have, you can unbuckle a little and relax because I, I don't really like that dynamic that plays out. But I do want to start with some interaction this morning, which is risky because I have no idea if you'll actually interact. But I want to start with a question. It's actually two. Here's the first question I have for you. Uh, Don't answer it quite yet, but when I ask you the question, what makes a good man? All right, I want you to get that in your head. If you were to, if you had to, if I actually did a pop quiz and handed you a paper and said, write down three to five things that you would say describe a good man. All right, I don't know if you've got those in your head. You got them. Someone shout out a few of your options to me about what makes a good man. Jesus, a godly man. Man, that was, that sounded like, Careable? I don't know that was exactly what I heard. Character, like integrity. Faithful. Courage. Serving. What was that? His wife. We knew it was going to come back to Mother's Day. That's the best answer so far today. His wife. Thanks, babe. <laughs> and, um, now let me, ask, let me change the question for you. And I'm doing this on purpose. If I change the question to not what makes a good man what makes a real man, do your answers change? Good. If, it, if the answer was no, good. I'm glad you know the right answer in church. But, but the picture of a good man and a real man in your head possibly don't line up. Like it, it might not be the same picture in your head. And when I think about that, that reality that somehow one of the things that happens, if I made a list of what makes a good man and I made a list of what makes a real man, it's shocking to me that those two lists might not even be close to the same. They might be the exact opposite. And, and I got to be honest, I, I, I think that's a tragedy for us today. And here's why it matters to us. Listen, the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says this, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And look at this next part. Male and female, he created them. So at the very beginning, when God created everything, he made men and women. And here was the thing that he was saying. Men and women, both of them combined, are in a picture of the image of who God is. We represent Something about who God is. And, and here's what's awesome about that. In all of our diversity and all the differences that are among us, God likes the diversity. He doesn't want to minimize the diversity. He wants us to be diverse because all of that diversity demonstrates something about who he is. And if you eliminate diversity, you miss a picture of a part of who God is. And part of that diversity, it's, it's all over the place. It's in all in all the nations and all the cultures, but one place that it's also is in maleness and femaleness. That there's something very unique about women that paints a picture of God that if we don't see that and value it, we will not understand certain things about God. And the same thing for men. Men, we were made in the image of God, as were women. If there's something about manhood and being a man, that gets minimized or distorted or twisted, we will miss or misrepresent a piece of a picture of who God is. And so when we talk about what makes a good man and a real man, here's why it matters to us, the answer to that question. Because if you paint the wrong picture or you corrupt the picture, we're not demonstrating to the people around us what God is like. The the best things about manhood... The best things are the things that paint the best and clearest picture about who God is. And when manhood goes off the rails, when it's disengaged or oppressive, when it's weak and silent or overbearing, it paints the wrong picture of God. So, man, it matters. It matters deeply For those around us, for your family, for your kids, for everyone you meet, for this city, that we actually represent God accurately in our manhood. Uh, I feel much more encouraged to preach on this because as a man, I don't, I, feel like I can really take the gloves off and go after stuff. But there's a verse that stands out to me. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Uh, we're not going to be in Philippians this week. But as I, as I asked that question about manhood, there's one verse that stood out to me. And listen, it's not strictly about manhood. So ladies, uh, it's not just about fatherhood, all men, all ladies. I believe these things are written to all believers. But I think there's a part of it that focuses on men I think it's valuable for us to see who God is and what we're supposed to be in light of who God is. Now, now, let me throw down on you about Corinth. Dude, so in the book of 1 Corinthians, you can be flipping to 1 Corinthians 16 while I go through this. In the, in the book, of, book of Corinth, man, that, that church is a wreck. I mean, I don't—I might have gone over this with you before, but, but this church, here's the city of Corinth. Let me just go through some of the issues that Paul is dealing with in this crazy psycho church. Uh, in the book, just the book of 1 Corinthians. We didn't even get 2 Corinthians in there. Here's the first one. He's got divisions in the church. They're fighting about who they like the most. I like this pastor, and I like this pastor. Like they're split on all sorts of issues. They're rejecting Paul's leadership. They've got crazy amounts of immorality that are not being dealt with, and it's gross. Like when he describes it in 1 Corinthians, you're like, oh, y- y'all do that in your church. Okay. And you celebrate it. Like that's part of it. He's. It's just, just a wreck. They're suing each other in the church, right? So you show up for Sunday school one week, and then the next week you find out that two people in your class are suing each other. Way to go, church. I, you know what, here's what's shocking to me. That probably doesn't surprise us as much as it ought to. Uh, Not going to get into that real quick. Uh, People are actually visiting prostitutes in the church. They're confused about marriage. Should they get married or should they not ever get married? They're fighting about what foods they eat and what type of things they're supposed to drink. Some people are still engaged with idolatry. What kind of no-brainer? What is wrong with these people? Right? And I'm not even halfway through it. They're getting drunk at church. They're getting drunk at church. They have a church potluck and they're showing up drunk to church in 1 Corinthians. If you don't know that, look at chapter 11. They're actually showing up also at the church potluck and all the rich people are grabbing their food and pigging out and they don't want to share it with the poor people, right? Imagine that, the church potluck. Like, so-and-so shows up, and they've got this huge feast they're eating, and then other people forgotten the food. I'm like, you didn't get any, get your own food. Like, right? People that are poor and needy as part of the church don't get to eat at the church potluck because they didn't bring enough food. Man, I want to punch this church in the face when I think about it. They've got out-of-control gatherings that are chaotic and people are trying to compete with each other and outperform one another and they're trying to see who's the most gifted. And on top of it all, they're not even sure that Jesus came back from the dead. So listen, when you read the book of 1 Corinthians, that makes me feel much better about us as a church. I don't know if that makes you feel any better. No? Okay. All right. That's... I didn't sell that well enough. Anyways, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul is wrapping up this savage letter. It's savage, but it's clear. It's got a a gentle savageness about it. And he's finishing up with his final challenges to the church. And, And listen to his challenges in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. He says this Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Like, like listen, I, I think that here's what Paul is doing. He's wrapped up all these issues in the church, and now he's saying this thing to the church. Listen, church, you need to be watchful. You need to stand firm in the faith. You need to man up is basically what act like men means. You need to uh, be strong and make sure that everything you done do is done in love. Like he, he gives these final things because he thinks that of all the instructions you give, they don't fix this. They don't act like this. It's not going to fix anything in the church that he just talked about. So I'm going to go through each one of these five commands here. The first one is this. Be watchful. That's, uh, basically it means be alert, be ready, pay attention, keep your eyes peeled, don't doze off, don't go to sleep right now. Like, listen, when you think about that, here's what he, the picture he's painting is someone who's kind of nodding off to sleep. Now, uh, I don't know if I've told you this before, but when I was in seminary, I worked nights to pay for school. So I would work at a place called FedEx Ground and I would load trucks from midnight to 7 a.m. And then I would go to class from eight to noon. uh, And then I would go home and do homework. And then I would get whatever sleep I could get done. It was a miserable existence for very low pay, but it was a job. And so that's that's what I was doing. So that's what I'm doing. And listen, when you get into seminary, you, you gotta know this. Like if you think pastors are boring, You have never met a seminary professor who goes on and on and on in a monotone thing with words that you don't know what they're talking about. And like, dude, it it was just brutal. And when your class only has 10 people, when you got 10 people, I mean, you're eyeball to eyeball with that professor. And you've been working all night and you've done that for week after week after week. When dude starts talking about the hypostatic union and you don't know what which end is up, and dude, there's a sleep that comes over you. Right? Any any y'all ever experienced that? Like this sleep, and maybe you experience it all the time on Sundays. Don't tell me about it. I don't want to know. I already know. I can see you nodding. Okay, so you don't you can't you can't hide from me. I see you. So, but here's what's happening. Like you you feel that moment like they're talking and. Sometimes they look like two, but you feel your, your eyelids getting heavier, right? It's the tire that coffee doesn't fix. And, and then you feel yourself, you're trying, man. Like, you have no idea how many, many of my seminary notes had drool all over them just because, just totally embarrassing. But my professors were gracious because no sleep. But there was, this one, <laughs> there was this one class where, dude, I just remember I'm nodding, and it's pretty head. And, and here was the moment that woke me up. I kept nodding, and my head... Smack the desk. Wham. I was like, okay, that's, uh, I had to work out to do it with the professor. I'd go stand up in the back. But this is what Paul was talking about. You guys are falling asleep at the wheel. You need to wake up. You can't be dozing off as life is happening around you. Things are happening. You need, your church is a wreck. Your family's a wreck. You cannot go to sleep. Right, like, And dads, there's a special type of dad tired. We know that, right? If you ask my wife how insane it is that I can lay in the middle of the living room on the floor and I will fall asleep at the drop of a hat. Kids are running around. I'm passed out. I'm on the floor. I don't know what my problem is. It's some kind of super dad skill. I don't know if your dads have that skill. But here's the problem. The problem is not that we know how to sleep physically. The problem is we do that spiritually and on our leadership all the time. Guys, for some of us, you're asleep at the wheel and your wife is losing her brain because you're passed out on the side with the family in the car and she's got both hands in that steering wheel trying to steer you, keep us from going off a cliff. Guys, we don't get to fall asleep in our leadership, and our engagement, in our families around us. You've got to be awake. And, and as I thought about this, I thought, well, let me clarify some of the things the Bible tells us to be alert for, to keep our eyes peeled out for. I'm going to give you four. Uh, John MacArthur helped me with this. He had this list um, that I thought was helpful. There's more, but let me give you the four that stand out to me for us as men and as a church. Here's the first one. You need to be alert for Satan. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. Be sober-minded, be watchful, or be alert, or wake up, be tentative. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Here's the reality. When you start falling asleep, when you're dozing off, when you're not on guard for your family and for your life, you need to hear this. There's an enemy lurking in the shadows, and he wants you. He, he doesn't want to just be your friend. He wants to devour you and destroy you and wreck your life and wreck your family. He wants to ruin everything. He wants to own you and eat you. And he wants the same for your family. Men, you got to stay alert because there is a real enemy out there sneaking and trying to get after you. And we're not totally ignorant of his schemes. He causes division. He does, sets traps for you left and right. And if you doze off... He will snatch the weakest among your family. That's what lions do. You're asleep at the wheel, and it's those little ones that are going to get taken out. Man, we, we, we don't get to doze off at the wheel. We don't, we're on guard duty. We need to watch out because our enemy is real, and he's a lion, and he wants to devour you. But, but there's other things we need to be alert for because it's not just that we have an enemy on the outside, We have an enemy on the inside. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Jesus is in the garden and um, he's getting ready to to go through the the greatest trial of his life. He's gonna go to the cross and his disciples um, keep falling asleep. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. He says this to them. Watch, stay alert and pray. Why? That you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. It's not just that you have an enemy on the outside. You stay alert for Satan. You need to stay alert for sin and temptation. I got to be honest. Here's what helps Satan in his attack against me. It's my own weaknesses. Like sometimes Satan doesn't have to set a trap for me. I will do it all on my own. I, I will wreck myself, man. I will say something stupid. I will think something stupid. He doesn't have to set a trap. I just run straight into the trap. Like it I just destroy myself, guys. You've got to stay alert for sin and temptation. You you got to stay awake and keep your eyes peeled for ambushes. Ambushes. Be ready for sniper fire because it is coming. When he tells this church, hey, you need to stay alert. Here's what he's telling them: He's like, your church is a wreck because the enemies at work among you, and you guys are being laxadaisical when it comes to sin and temptation. Listen, you got to keep your guard up. You got to be ready to rumble. That. There was a time uh, when I was younger and skinny, skinnier, that I decided to join a gym. Uh, and I didn't want to go just to the regular gym. I didn't like that. They opened up this boxing gym over by the church. So I, I decided I'm gonna take boxing classes. That was the dumbest thing ever. It was listen, do not picture, don't picture Rocky and don't picture some kickboxing's kickboxing class. It was It was pretty amateur, but basically you worked a heavy bag. You did all this stuff, and I'll never forget the very first time. Look, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, you can tell when it comes to boxing, I'm easy prey, right? So the guy gets me in after a while. Now, he's not going to let me fight, but he's this little glove thing where you're, doing whatever, and so I'm just focused on hitting his glove, and all he says is, if you hit me, I will beat you senseless. That's the the warning. I got to hit the glove. I hit his face. I die in front of all these people. That was, that's the way they worked. It was just pure fear and threat. So he's doing the thing. I'm like, I'm like, I'm getting this. I feel all awesome and bad, like I'm a boxer, and uh, I don't know if he saw that I was getting cocky or what was happening, but but I started just getting ready to, you know, to, to pop that glove and my hand comes down and here's what happens. He just smacked me in the face. I was like, what? All right. And th- when he smacked me, my immediate instinct was I dropped my hands. What was that? Smack, smack, smack. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, what is this game that we're playing? I thought I hit the glove and he's just smacking me. He's smacking me. And I'm just looking at him like stunned, like, what what just I'm paying you to smack me? And he just keeps smacking me. Here's my problem. I let my guard down. Sin and temptation are all over the place, and my instinct was to go, huh? Weird. Right? Hey, have you seen yourself do that? You you seen that you seen that moment happen where that sin that keeps tripping you up? Like you're like, I, I don't know what happened. Right, But then you look back and you're like, every single time you see the pattern. You're just walking around, gloves are down, and the smack is coming. But here's the problem. Sin isn't playing nice. It's not a little, he's got that finch cliff, and it's coming at you full power, right? It's trying to knock you off your feet. Men, church. You gotta stay alert, not just to the enemy, but to sin and temptation. But there's another one. I got a whole list of them. I'm gonna keep going. Uh, in Revelation chapter three, I, I, in case you're wondering, I'm looking up all the things to talk about staying alert in the Bible. Revelation chapter three, Jesus is delivering a message to a church in Sardis. Um, it's got a reputation for being alive and an amazing church, but his message to the church is this You seem alive, but you aren't. You're actually dead. You're cold and apathetic towards knowing and loving and following Jesus. It says this in Revelation 3, verses 1 and 2. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Listen, When I read it, you know what I think Jesus is warning this church to wake up to? He's saying, wake up to your spiritual apathy and indifference. Listen, our biggest concern is not just the devil and temptation and sin. Sometimes we've got to stay alert when our hearts begin to grow cold to who Jesus is and the goodness of his gospel. When we grow cold to loving the people around us, we get cold-hearted and indifferent. We lack empathy and love and emotion. Listen, stay alert. You better wake up because it's not just sin and the devil. It's apathy and indifference and lovelessness. And that doesn't happen overnight. Right? It doesn't happen overnight that you become unloving. It happens slowly. It's It's this drift that happens. Same thing at a church, right? How does a church die? doesn't happen, well, it could happen overnight, but it probably doesn't happen overnight, right? What happens in the church is it slowly begins to rot on the inside, that we, we lose our love and our passion for each other. We lose our hunger for Jesus and seeing him work. We lose our, our, our drive to reach the people around us, right? And all of a sudden you just get comfortable and it feels good and you don't even know you're dying, but you're dead, and that apathy grows more and more and more. And all of a sudden, you wake up 20 years later, and you don't know how far you've come. Listen, we've got to stay alert when our hearts begin to grow cold. When our church grows cold, we cannot fall asleep at the wheel. Now, let me let me flesh that out for you in, in one way. I, I'm going I'm to go after men who are married in this one. All the single guys, write this down. You're going to remember this, okay? Um, you do not fall out of love with your spouse overnight. You drift out of love through years and years, or maybe even less, of neglect and indifference and apathy. Right? All, all the people who have been married for a while, let me, let me ask you a question, I'll let you raise your hand as a testimony. If you Or you can even say it out loud. I mean, if we're going to go crazy, we'll go wild on this one. Like, that moment in marriage that can be really difficult is in people who've been wrapping their entire lives around their kids and all of a sudden they wake up and the kids have left the house and they're left with their spouse. And they look at their spouse and realize, I don't know this person anymore. Right? Is that, can I get a testimony from anyone else about how difficult that is? All right. You know what? I'm just going to go with, uh so there's no one wants to agree with that. Listen, the reality is, at the counseling that I've done in the last place, that happened over and over and over again. That they wrapped themselves up in career or kids, and they began to neglect their spouse, and their heart grew cold. And all of a sudden, they wake up 10 years later, and they say, I don't think I love you anymore. What happened? They became asleep at the wheel to the apathy and indifference to their spouse that was growing. And they didn't know it because they were throwing down, taking their kids to t-ball and school and soccer and getting them graduated and getting them into good college. And, man, let them survive college and let them get married. And you throw down on that stuff. And then when you're left with just that spouse, you stop pursuing them years ago. And now you don't know if you can even ever get that spark back. And then bad things happen. Listen, church, do not go to sleep when your heart begins to grow apathetic or indifferent. Go after it. I mean, go after it with a passion and a zeal that says, I do not want that needle to move down to zero. We don't want to stop. We don't want to die. We want our hearts to keep burning and beating fast for Jesus and one another. You don't want your marriage to grow cold and you don't want your walk with Jesus to grow cold. And it will if you fall asleep at the wheel. But there's something else we got to be on guard about. In Acts, Paul meets with the elders of this church in Ephesus. And it's Acts chapter 20, verse 29 through 31. Look look at what he says here in Acts chapter 29, or Acts chapter 20, verse 29. He says this, I know that after my departure, fierce fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. I I know I'm going to leave. I'm talking to these leaders of this church. There's going to be these dudes that come in teaching some trash, and they're not going to spare the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twists. Some of you are going to do it to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Stay awake. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Listen, we've got an enemy without and an enemy within. We've got apathy that can grow, but there is false teaching that will sneak in and gut you of the power to love and follow Jesus. There are teachers that will come in and peddle this thing for money or for they'll do whatever it does to keep you happy and keep you smiling. They'll, do, they'll pitch whatever they want to you, but they'll rip you of all the power of Jesus To be forgiven of sin, to live guilt free, to follow hard after Him. They'll gut you of the belief that Jesus gives you a new heart, you don't manufacture it. They'll rip you to shreds, they won't spare you. They'll use you, they'll abuse you, they'll control you. Listen, church, we we don't get to fall asleep at the wheel about false teachers and false teaching either. You gotta stay alert, because it's not just agreeing on the facts. It will wreck your life. You'll be peddled a Jesus that doesn't look like the Jesus of the Bible. You'll be peddled a Jesus that loves Pharisees instead of hates Phariseeism. You'll be peddled a Jesus that only loves the rich and doesn't care deeply for the poor and broken. You'll be peddled a Jesus that loves a certain political party, but you will not meet the real Jesus who does not serve any party. He is king. And parties serve him. You'll be peddled all sorts of things that aren't Jesus. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. You'll miss Jesus if you do. All right, so that's the first one in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You're probably thinking, dude, this guy's going to go for 80 minutes today. No, I'm not, because I can pick up the pace. Let's rumble. That's the first part of 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. He says this, be watchful. Next one is this, stand firm in the faith. Uh, I think this is awesome because it's that same thing. You're talking about guarding against false teachers. This idea of standing firm in the fe- faith is this, that, that your feet are firmly grounded. You're, you're stuck. Your, your cleats are dug in. You're not going to be moved. And this is an idea of having more faith. This is a, have an idea of being deeper in the faith, the content, the truth of the faith. listen. You've got to know, if you're going to stay alert to the enemy and to sin and to apathy and to false teachers, you, the way you do this, is you've got to go deep into the faith. Well, what does that look like? We lay out two ways that we go deep in the faith, that our feet get locked in, that we don't give an inch when it comes to the faith. How do you do that? Well, first, you, dig, you need to dig deeply into the word. Listen, church, you've you got to be people who are deep. This shallow coasting off the top of the Bible, not going deep in it, that's not going to cut it. It just won't. At first it will feel good, but at some point you got to move past that milk and you got to move to the meat. I mean, you got to dig in deep. you got to read deep things. you got to ask hard questions of the Bible. You don't, you're not afraid of them. You don't dismiss them. You ask them and you dig in and you go deep and you go hard and it may wear you out. But you keep going deep and you keep going hard because if you're going to go deep in the faith, you have to go deep in the word. Listen, I, I know for some of it that's that's really difficult. Even just saying you need to read the Bible feels like this weight that pops up on top of you. Listen, I'm not asking you just to read and study like it's math. I'm telling you to encounter God through his word and know that the depths of who God is is deeper than you can plumb in a lifetime. And he wants you to dive in and go deep. And if it's not just your Bible, I think you need to add other deep things. You need to add deep theology books, things that deepen your faith. Like, Listen, you need to go deep in the word because you will not know a false teacher when he shows up if you haven't gone deep. You think you can answer the things that our society says right now if you haven't gone deep in the word? You Talk to your unsafe friends. Let them ask you a couple questions about God and the Old Testament. I can't be at all your dinner tables and you have those combos. I don't even know if I want to because those combos do I'm sweating just thinking about it. I know they're hard. I know they're hard. But if you go deep in the word and Jesus is with you, it, listen, it, it'll be okay. But you got to go deep. Listen, you're going to deal with the tragedies of life, whatever tragedies come your way. You think you'll do that without being deep in the word? You think a pep talk for yourself? goes through the crisis when life wallops you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm talking full-fledged, a donkey kicking you to the face, life hitting you that hard. Like, it's the, the I always have this picture, I think I've shared with you before. There was a commercial back, I think, in the 90s. Uh, a catcher got hit with a tip off of a foul ball. Uh, it, it hit the bat and hit him, I think got him right there, I don't remember. But what they did is ESPN had this commercial where there was this donkey standing there and a, a guy in a catcher's outfit right behind the donkey. And the guy goes, you ready? And he goes, yeah. And he smacks the donkey and it just kicks him right in the face. Lays the dude out and he goes, was it like that? And he goes, yeah, that was it right there. Like, listen, when I talk about life giving you a donkey kick to the face, that's the picture that I want in your head. Like, if you have an experience that you need to know this, life will kick you. And it, it, will, it will kick you. And your faith, if it is weak and has shallow roots, you won't make it. You won't make it. But I'm telling you, you go deep into Jesus, he can hold on to you through anything. Listen, if Jesus can survive the cross, if he can go through beatings and mauling, like that, that whipping and that injustice and the crucifixion, If he can survive that, he can take you through anything life throws your way. He's strong enough. And on top of it, if he can come back from the dead, you think he can get you through what's going on right now? But you won't go deep if you don't go deep in the word. I'm just telling you, you will tap out in the first quarter. But there's more. If you want to stand firm in the faith, it's not just going deep in the word. you got to go deep in the body. Listen, the, the thing that Jesus gives you is not just with me. He gave you this unbelievable gift. That you, don't, you don't just know Jesus. You get to know the people around you. I mean, you got to have relationships. You need to have relationships. I'm not talking about just showing up and attending Sunday school or small girl. I'm saying you need deep relationships. I mean, people who will know you and can say, you know what, man? I think you're getting jacked up in this area right now. you got, for those who don't know, speak FI is jacked up. you got some trouble going on in your life. you got some sin that seems like it's popping up right now. You need people who will call you on that or people will come alongside you and say, listen, man, I think you're about to tap out. Let me help you. Let me grab your arms and carry you through this. You've you got to have deep relationships in the, in the body, not just in the word. you got to know each other. you, you got to have people that can come alongside. You also need this. Like, listen, there are people in this room that have already been kicked by life in the worst way possible, and their faith survived. You don't need a bunch of people who haven't experienced the thing saying, yeah, Jesus is great. There's people in this room that experience death and loss and cancer and worse. And they still know and love Jesus. They've got, they've got faith that's been battle tested. You don't get access to that wisdom and experience if you're isolated you don't get access to that if you're never actually with the body. You've got to be around each other, seeking relationships, and not just with everyone who's just like you. Listen, Jesus gave you this gift of the word and the body. You want to stand firm in the faith? Go after both of those things. And then here's the third one that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 30. He says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. And he says, act like men. <laughs> I love that. It, it sounds like man up is kind of what he's saying. He's like, you need to man up. That's, but I think the way we say it is a little bit different. You know, there's that moment you feel sad or whatever, and maybe there's like a little tear. You, need to, you don't shed no tears. That's not what Paul is saying here. That, that word act like men, uh, it has this idea of showing mature courage. So it would be man up and grow up is the idea, the way we would say it today. It's this idea of what happens of men in the battlefield that, that, you know, you've got to muster up your courage. You need to act wisely, but you, you don't get to run and hide. You've got to be courageous. This is a phenomenal thing for him to say to a church that's got division and brokenness and immorality and just awful things happening in the church. He says, you've got to be courageous about these things. This is related to stay awake, only it's actually action. So if you're awake at the wheel and you see trouble coming, but you tuck tail and run, that's not what it's talking about. When you see trouble coming, you actually dig in and you help fight. Unless it's sin, then you tuck tail and run, but you take your family with you, right? When there's problems in the church, we got to act like men. Mature, courage, we're willing to have the hard conversations. We're not one to push away from the table. We stay there and keep having the combo over and over and over again until we get to resolution. It's it's this idea of wisdom and courage mixed into one. Man, I, I love that statement. And listen, we gotta act like men. We gotta have mature courage in our families and in our churches and in life. Listen, I know some of you are hoping this would be my rant against skinny jeans, but it's not. This is my rant against immaturity and cowardliness. This is the rant against men hiding from their roles in the garage or the deer stand and on the boat or at work. This is my rant against men who would rather have peace than protection from immorality and all sorts of corruption. Some of you would rather have peace than have the conversation have to happen in your family and it's not okay. Listen, men, if you have not had an argument with your spouse in years, I'm telling you, your marriage is not all right. There's no way you stick two sinful people in life together and don't have disagreements. There's no way. If it's all roses and petals, it's rotten. Someone's hiding what's really bugging them and it's gonna show up in a really bad way. There should be disagreements. There should be sin and repentance and tough conversations that are ongoing in your relationship. Don't settle for peace when you can have way better than that. You can have deep, loving, real, authentic relationships. But if you settle for just calm and peaceful, where you can go and sit on your recliner and watch the TV without anyone disturbing you, you will not get deep, authentic, true, real, loving relationships. Act like men. That means when there's a problem, you've got to deal with it with maturity and boldness. And the last one in that verse is be strong. Like it's, it's that strength where you're actually able to go toe-to-toe with sin and Satan and, and the enemy. You it's, not, it's a spiritual strength in you that you're ready to say, we can be strong. We can have hard conversations, and I don't need to go in a corner and cry myself to sleep at night. Because I can be strong, and it doesn't mean it's easy. But you got to be strong, spiritually strong, that, that you don't just show up like a flash in the pan, and you say, we're going to do devos tonight with the family, and then you're gone for six months. It's that steady strength that does it over and over and over and over again. It's not weak. It's not soft. It's something strong about it. And then the last one is verse 14. And this one I think is the one that ties all of these together. Because if all you hear from this is you got to wake up, you got to be strong, you got to man up, you got to really stand firm in the faith, I could turn you into a monster. It could be impossible to live with you. Because you can stay alert and you can be on Facebook and you can see every stinking conspiracy theory in the history of the world. Right? Some that I don't even know where people come up with this stuff. It's, it's phenomenal. You, you can stay alert and be vigilant and always be nervous about false teaching and sin. And you can be a nightmare to be around. You can be strong. It makes you overbearing and harsh and unloving. Listen, you can stand firm in the faith and you're, you drive people crazy because you dissect every single thing that someone says. You could do all these things. You could act like a man and it could be the worst thing ever. You could say, listen, I gotta, I gotta confront you because I gotta act like a man and now we're all beating each other down. It, it's this last one that ties it all together. Verse 14, let all that you do be done In love. Listen, this is the thing that Jesus did that should blow our mind. He literally was watchful. When Peter says something stupid, he says, get behind me, Satan. But he loved him. He says really hard things. He says, Peter, Satan wants you, but I've prayed for you that God will keep you. That's hard and loving. It's alert. I see it. I'm calling it out. But, man, I, listen, I'm not just saying I love you. I really legitimately love you so that we can go have a meal after this conversation. When we look at the other thing that talks about uh, standing firm in the faith, listen, if you do that in love, it will be a phenomenal thing. That you're, you're staying deep in the word. You're staying deep in the body, but it's out of love, not out of duty and obligation. When we say act like men or be strong, whatever we tell you, listen, if all of those things are weaved through with love, if it's weaved with love, it will be this phenomenal thing. And Jesus did it perfectly. He did it perfectly, you guys. He called out Pharisees and offered them the chance for a relationship. And he even endured injustice all the way to death on the cross in love. You want to know what it means to be a real man? You do all of those things in love. It, I think it's phenomenal that Paul lays both of those out for us. Let me give you one quote by this guy named Craig Blomberg. Uh, this is an example of what seminary professors look like. I probably shouldn't make fun of them. That was. Okay, anyways, let me move on. Uh, here's his quote Love without strength deteriorates into mere sentimentality, strength without love risks becoming tyrannical. Listen, men and followers of Jesus, all of you who are here, if you love without strength, you will not love well. It'll be squishy emotion, but it will never have the backbone to do what's best for those around you. But but if you're strong without love, you'll be a nightmare that rules with an iron fist that can't have a really good relationship. It's your way or the highway. We need to be both. We need to be strong and loving, and I want you to hear this. Not only does Jesus do that, he enables us to do that. Jesus can help you stay alert. Jesus can help you stand firm. Jesus can help you show mature courage. Jesus can make you strong and he can do the impossible. He can help change your heart so you can do it all with love. Listen, church, I hope that today the thing that stands out to you is you feel challenged to be strong and loving I pray that you feel amazed that Jesus did all of it with strength and love. And I pray that we would leave here praying that he would enable us to do the same. Let me guide us in the time of response. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to take a moment and I just want you to simply ask God, what did he say to you today? Did he convict you of being asleep at the wheel or being shallow in the faith or being a coward or being weak or being unloving? Listen, if he convicted you of that, would you just ask him to forgive you? Would you ask him to change your heart and enable you to do better? Listen, if that was you, I just want to remind you real quickly that here's what Jesus says. He says he died on the cross and he paid the price for all of your mistakes. So if you are in Jesus, you are clean and forgiven regardless of all the mistakes you've made. You've been a weak man or a weak follower of Jesus. Hey, guess what? If you're in Christ, he still smiles at you. And he can give you a new heart that enables you to do better. I want you to believe that. Listen, maybe God didn't convict you of anything today. When you think about Jesus being strong and loving, take a moment if you weren't convicted to actually just worship him for being that right there in your seat. Just right there, just tell him how awesome it is that he's strong and loving. and for some of you, you actually had a strong and loving father. Would you praise God for giving you that? For the men in the room who are fathers, would you ask God to make you a strong and loving father? For those of you who had a lousy father, And that may be too harsh, but your father wasn't strong or loving or maybe he was out of balance in one of the two. Would you give that wound to the father? And would you believe that Jesus is a better father than that? And finally, if you've never actually entered into a relationship with Jesus, I wanna let you know that Into this service, we'll dismiss. We'd love to speak with you about that. You can just stay in your seat as we dismiss, and we'll come to you. But just know this: the Bible says that we're all broken, and that Jesus came to us because we were too weak to come to Him. And despite our brokenness and our rebellion and our stubbornness, He came and He died on the cross to buy us back. And all we have to do, we don't have to perform, we have to clean ourselves up or get our act together. We just need to trust in Him. What he did on our behalf and actually believe that he died and came back to life three days later and ask him to save us. And the Bible says he will. Listen, please don't leave here today. We would love to speak to you about that if that's the case. Uh, don't leave today without talking to one of us about that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we come to you right now, I, I pray that we'd be in awe that you were a good father. We praise you that you are strong and alert to our sin and brokenness. We, we praise you that uh, you were courageous in the fight face of the cross, that you were loving when you came to us. God, you did all of those things. And it, if you weren't those things, we would be without a savior, without hope. But God, you were all of those things. So I pray that we'd leave here today worshiping you for being strong and loving. God, I pray for every single person in this room that we would be strong in the faith and loving to one another. God, I'm praying you would enable this. And I pray for the men in the room. God, I pray you make every man who's here today, I pray we'd leave here empowered by Jesus to be exactly what you've called us to be. I pray that we would be strong and loving in all the things that matter most. And I pray that all in Jesus' name.